Okay, so as we began last week, we I kind of introduced the book last week and we covered the first four verses in Hebrews chapter 1. And you'll remember that I said that the, the, uh, the main issue here, the letter, that there were two primary groups of Messianic Jews. They were the Palestinian Jews who pretty much stayed in, in and around Palestine until the time uh, that they were scattered the conquest and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But there, were a, there was a, a greater group of Messianic Jews in the diaspora. The diaspora just means 10 cities. And they were, com they were completely Hellenized. So they were, uh, they were where the, uh, the Palestinian Jews would read the Torah from in Hebrew. The Hellenistic Jews would use the Greek Septuagint. They, were, they tended to be the more affluent sect of Judaism, the Hellenistic Jews, the Palestinian Jews tended to be poor, and they tended to, to be more uh, obliging to embracing the culture in which they were living in. And so, and so with the advent of the gospel, as I also mentioned, you'd have, you'd have the apostles going from city to city and sharing the gospel with them. But then afterwards, you would have Judaizers who would come in after them and say, well, you know, that's right, but you got to do this and you got to do that. And so it was causing all kinds of problems. And so the author of Hebrews, we don't know who he is. I think if God wanted us to know who he was, he would have told us. Uh, there are all kinds of, you know, ideas as to who it was. Uh, but we know it was not a first generation. We know it wasn't a first generation believer. That much we know. Who it was after that? We're not sure, but the author is concerned, and he's concerned that they were beginning to drift. And there are five major warnings that come in the book of Hebrews. And what he does is he, 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 goes, he goes and shows them the superiority of Christ to, to, the, to the things of the Old Covenant by doing so within the context of the three pillars of Judaism, which are angels, Moses, and the Levitical priesthood. And so angels were a big deal uh, to Jews. And so he goes right for that, right from the start. So first he goes and he deals with the subject of angels, that Christ is superior to the angels. Then he moves on to Moses. And then he goes into the priesthood, right? Okay, so it's hard for us to, to kind of wrap ourselves around this because we are you know we've known the messiah and that's all we've ever known you know so it's hard for us to understand how this might be a struggle for Jew messianic jews who are coming out of judaism and it had embraced jesus as the messiah and there was all this turmoil that was happening in their lives because there was a physical consequence when you embrace jesus as the messiah being a jew it didn't matter whether you were Palestinian or Hellenistic. There was a, a consequence, right? There was a consequence of, of being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being baptized in the name of Jesus if you were a Jew, right? And so there's all that turmoil, and then so you have all that going on, and then you have Judaizers who are coming in after the apostles, after those who are going out sharing the gospel and saying, you know, no, Jesus is the Messiah. And, but you, you, have to, you have to be circumcised. You have to do this. You have to follow the dictates of the law. So they were coming confused. All right. So to help us understand, especially as we go into this first section in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, 
the rest of Hebrews chapter 1 on how the author of Hebrews, Hebrews goes in and shows that Jesus as the Messiah is superior to the angels. I have this little video here. It's a 17-minute video. It's put out by an organization called Jews for Judaism. So the Jews for Judaism, the, the Jewish community is very much concerned about the, the, uh, the degree and, and, the, and the rapid growth of the Messianic Jewish community within the, within the Jewish community. So they, ha they have come out with instructional organizations to try and counter the Messianic Jewish movement. And so this is one such group called Jews for Judaism. So I'm just going to play the video and, uh, and you'll see uh, some, of the, some of their concerns and some of the places where they are not in alignment with Christianity. Okay, so uh, aside from the fact that his arguments were weak, um, I don't want to get into, get off track and get into a discussion of the angel of the Lord, all right? But I, I wanted you to see this for a reason. So if you take your notes and turn over to page two, under the top there, Jewish affinity for angels is understandable. When they appeared to men, they came in powerful and imposing ways. They often created great fear, which caused the angels to preface their message with the greeting, do not fear. They came bearing messages from God across all major moments of revelation in the Old Testament. So, according to the Jewish understanding, uh, who appeared to Hagar in Genesis chapter 21? An angel. Who appeared to Abraham? An angel. Who told Jacob and Rachel to leave Laban and return to Canaan? Who appeared to Moses in the burning bush? Who went ahead of the Israelites in a pillar of cloud? Who protected Daniel in the lion's den? Who spoke to Balaam through the mouth of a donkey? And who told Gideon to rise up and defeat the Midianites? An angel. So you can see why angels are important in Judaism. Now, you have to couple that with what their understanding was of the Messiah. So, so I have I made a few copies of this here. I think there are like 15 copies. This is this is from Chabad.org, and is what is the Jewish belief about Messiah? And uh, you you can take it. It's probably I don't know five or six pages. But there's one part that I want to read to you. It's just a, a, a paragraph on page four, which basically summarizes their belief in the Messiah. It's, it, it says, it starts with a question that says, could Messiah come at any time in any generation? The answer is yes. In every generation, there is a person who potentially could be the Messiah. When God decides that the time has arrived, he will bestow upon that individual the necessary powers for him to, pre, uh, to precipitate the redemption. So now, in order to understand what's going on here, why the author of Hebrews goes right for angels first, is you have to understand their semi-veneration of angels coupled with what their understanding of the Messiah would be, right? And so here now are come the claims that could it be that, that Jesus, who is 
man is superior, his message is superior to that of the angels. Okay, so that's kind of the way he approaches it. Now, I want you to, I want you to see something here. Notice here, he doesn't challenge. So if we, we look at all those great passages, passages of the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord appeared. Maybe we can put that fan back on now. The angel of the Lord appeared to man, and they were, according to the Jewish understanding, all just regular angels. Notice here that in the way he goes about explaining the superiority of the Son to the angels, he doesn't challenge their underlying assumption. He operates from within it, which is an important, which is an important tool to use in apologetics. So he uses their their understanding of the importance of angels, and he works within that understanding to demonstrate the superiority of Christ. Okay? Yes? Um, one thing that I've struggled with throughout through my studies is the Jewish perspective, the Jewish perspective doesn't seem to have the concept of the Messiah. That's right. Yeah. Well, as I just read in that paragraph, they believe that in any generation, there is someone who would be qualified to be the Messiah. The, one of the basic qualifications is, and, and they will, it says that in the document, is they have to be a direct descendant of David because they have to going to sit on the Davidic throne and restore, and restore and bring in to fruition a messianic kingdom, right? So it's important to keep this in mind when we get into the notes. Okay, so let's, um, let's get into the notes here. We got about 20 minutes. We'll see how far we can get into it. So uh, this is just a basic summary of what we talked about last week. Hebrews is a study in, co in contrast. Old covenant versus the new covenant. Those contrasts center around the differences between the old ways in which God gave revelation to men and the new and better way. Remember, uh, we, we looked at that in the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1 last, last week, that in times past, God spoke to the fathers uh, through the prophets, but in various means. The point being is there were some prophets who had, a, who had a ministry that went for years, and there were other prophets who had a very short ministry, right? There were some prophets who, who received uh, visions and dreams. The point being is that it was not all given at once. It came in bits and pieces. But in Christ Jesus, it came all at once. So that everything that God has left to say, he has spoken it fully through Jesus the Messiah. Okay, so the old ways were not wrong. They were just incomplete. And they came to completion with the coming of Christ. The old ways were designed as stepping stones, creating a path leading us to a full and better understanding. And Christ was the end of that path. Christ is the end of revelation. The writer's goal in writing this letter is to persuade Jewish believers to abandon the devotion to the old ways and lean entirely on Christ and the new covenant. Today there are Gentile Christians who need to hear this message as well. Uh, there is a, a growing romanticism in all things Jewish. The law, so you have, you have actually Christian communities that are observing the law, 
they're observing the festivals, uh, they're learning the Hebrew language and, and the Hebrew culture. Now there's nothing necessarily wrong in that in and of itself, but you gotta be very careful because those things are representative of something that has passed away. It's no longer in effect, right? And so I, I, I've studied the, you know, the, the Torah, I've studied, you know, many of, not all, there's so many of them, but a good deal of, the, of Jewish commentary and literatures, not because I believe that that somehow is going to bring me closer to God, but because it helps me understand the Jewish mindset and to be prepared for that time, if it should come, that God would send me to share the gospel of Christ with someone who is a Jew. But not because I think in observing the law or observing the Jewish festivals or learning the Hebrew language would somehow bring me closer to God. Because you can't come any closer to God than, than Christ. That's it. But there are Christian communities that are doing this. You'll see the men are wearing beards. And, you know, not that anyone who wears a beard is a Judaizer. We have quite a few in here, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Mostly everybody in here is a Judaizer, it would seem. Yes? Well, yeah, well, you study the Old Testament to get that richness. You don't adopt the lifestyle of Jews who lived in the Old Testament, right? And as a way of getting closer to God, right? So you learn the cultural habits so that you know points of contact. So when I, you know, when I will, when I've had the opportunity to speak with Jews or a Jewish rabbi, I find the point, I don't go in there, bla you notice the Hebrew, the, the author of Hebrews here doesn't blast right in and say, you know what, you guys have completely misunderstood the angel of the Lord appearances in the Old Testament. He doesn't do that. He doesn't blow them out of the water with that. But he operates within that assumption. You find the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn there for a minute. The Apostle Paul uses this device as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in talking about the resurrection. Uh, let me find the verse. Oh, okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's talking about the resurrection. That there were now, so there were those in Corinth. So here's an interesting question who apparently were denying the resurrection. So here's a question. Can you be a genuine believer and deny the resurrection? That's right. So you see the same thing at work here. So, so now Paul is operating under within their assumption because look at what he says in verse 29. Um, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Now, is baptism for the dead a legitimate, biblically sanctioned practice? Absolutely not. But, but there were those who thought that it was, as well as there were some cults who were practicing that. He doesn't blow that assumption out of the water. He operates from within that assumption to make his point. And that's what the author of Hebrews does in his discussion about angels. He doesn't blast them by saying, the angel, you guys got it all wrong about the angel of the Lord. He says, okay, 
if the angels were this important, how much more important is the Son of Man, the Messiah? And he uses angelic passages and passages that they would be very familiar with to prove his point. Okay. <sighs> okay, so uh, let's jump down to um, main point two. His superiority to the angels demonstrated. The Jews always had an affinity for the angels, and thus this passage begins with the assertion that the Son is much better than the angels. As I already said, angels were a prominent part of Jewish life. They were second only importance to God himself. By the time Jesus came to earth, Jew Jewish culture had practically venerated angels. The Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, the Essenes living at Qumran had a scroll that was called the Angel Scroll because they had a highly developed angelology, supposedly written by the Archangel Michael. The similar angelic fascination re-emerging in some Christian circles. Superstitious New Age approaches, belief in so-called guardian angels, false cults born out of appearance of angels of light with new messages for the faithful. Can you give me one major cult that is a very powerful cult in the United States? Mormons. I don't know, but do you have an angel that stands guard over you? Yeah. And you have an angel that ministers to you. Yeah. That's different, right? The angel is sent to minister to you from the moment of conception till the moment of death to make sure that what God has ordained to come to pass in your life will come to pass. The guardian angel, the guardian angel teaching is that every human being has a guardian angel. Now, does every human being have a ministering spirit, a ministering angel? No, only those who will are destined to inherit salvation. Does that include fallen angels? Well, yeah, we know that there are some of those around too, right? So. Yeah, so you have to, so, so again, there, there, Jesus is using the term babies, children, metaphorically. It's a reference to those who are believers, who are children of God, right? And so you have to be careful that you don't, you don't take that and extrapolate that to every person and every child, right? Is that even a possibility? Yeah, is that even a possibility? It's not even a possibility that anything could happen to you that is outside of God's will. Brought to your to your death? Guide you to your death? Yeah. Okay, so all right, I, I get it, but w what's the point? To justify. To 
to justify the concept of guardian angels? Yeah, but, but so, okay, so that's a discussion in angiology. And oh, yeah, we don't have to go there. I'm, I'm sorry. That, that's okay. That's okay. But that's a discussion in angiology, and, and, um, and Hebrews is quite clear that that actually we'll get into it as we get into this, these verses, right? So I don't want to kind of rob my thunder ahead of time, so we'll get there when we get there. Okay. All right. Okay, let me... F- Okay, all right, so we read that. The angel of the Lord, we looked at those. As a result, some first century Jewish believers were struggling to give Christ his proper place in their worship. They were still viewing angels as superior messengers to the Messiah. Why is that? Be- twofold reason, what their, their understanding of the Old Testament appearances of the of now if you look in the in the Tanakh in the Jewish Bible you'll see that those passages where in in our Bible we have the angel of the Lord they have an angel of the Lord right so I checked I checked my you know my Tanakh and so they change it it's an an angel of the Lord yes no no I haven't looked at the Septuagint on that Maybe. Okay. So if angels were superior to the Messiah, then the message they bring must also be superior. Thus the writer sets out to convince his readers that the Messiah and his message is superior to that of the angels. He does this by giving proof from the Jews' own scripture, the Old Testament, which he will demonstrate in verses 5 to 13, always asserted the superiority of the Messiah and his message to that of angels. Okay. So now we pick it up in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. We've got just 10 minutes, and we'll see how much ground we can cover. So I'll, I'll begin reading at verse 1, and then we'll go on from there. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So there is his premise that Jesus is much better much more better than the angels okay and now he'll he'll as he makes that assertion now he'll go in and demonstrate using the old testament why that is so and in fact that is always what the old testament taught okay so in verse five we read for to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son today i have begotten you okay first off now you did a word study on that word begotten, right? You remember that? In, in our Bible study methods class, you did a study on the word begotten, so you should have an idea of what that word is saying. But that's actually a quote. 
that comes out of Psalm 2. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 2. and let's. So these are cues. These are clues by the Holy Spirit, right? When you see these quotes, Old Testament quotes, that's the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit telling you to go look up that quote in the Old Testament because there's something there I want you to see. So let's go there to Psalm 2. And I'm not going to tell you what to see there. I want you to tell me what you see there when I read this psalm to you, okay? Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Is everybody there? Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Doug, what is the? the Mashiach saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision and he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. There it is. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord. Notice capital L, capital O, Jehovah. With fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled by a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So what do you see there in Psalm 2? First of all, there is that word begotten. That's an important word. What does begotten mean? It's the exact same meaning that you find in John chapter 3. Uh, I forgot what verse it was, but I think it was verse 25. The only begotten Son of God. Same exact Greek word, begot. Do you remember what it means? One and only, uniqueness. There's a uniqueness. He's the one and only. You are my son. So now the author says, to which of the angels did he ever say this? But he's working within their understanding, and he's, he, he doesn't blast them out of the water. But what he does is he, he begins to introduce how the truth of Scripture actually is what undermines and, and actually recalibrate their assumption on the whole subject of angels and the Messiah, right? So he calls, he call, you'll see, he calls his son, you are my son, right? He never makes that statement in the Old Testament about angels. Angels are called sons of God. Angels are referred to as sons of God, but never son of God. The son of God is used only in reference to the Messiah, to the one who will sit on the Davidic throne. Okay. And again, now we move to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Right? Let me make sure I got my reference right. Yes, yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's go look at that, at that scripture. What is that scripture talking about? 
So I want to go through all of these here slowly, right? Because this is what God's intention is for us here, right? And so, and, and this comes, after we get done with this, it comes with the first, the first of five major warnings in the, book of he, uh, in the book of Hebrews. But look at what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from, from all his enemies all around. And the king, king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside ten curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Whenever I moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from, from the tribes of Israel whom I committed to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a cedar house? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on all the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and no, move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Do you see here what God is promising to do here now? Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne shall be established before you. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So what's going on there? Covenant. Which covenant? The Davidic covenant. Now, there's a, a very clear, specific promise in there delivered by God to David that the one who would sit and establish that throne would be of his line. Is that possible for an angel? No. Not possible for an angel. Okay. All right. Well, we're, we're going to stop there because um, I, I want to take my time with this because I want you to see this. What a, just what an awesome job uh, God does in explaining these passages to these. You know, again, I, I just want to close by saying this. It's hard for us to understand just... What was at stake for them, right? When they, when they 
made their confession and received public back baptism in the name of Yeshua. They lost everything. Can you imagine being disowned from your family? Some of you wish you could be disowned from your family. No. <laughs> I'm just being a wise guy, yes. Yeah. Sure it does. Sure it does. So, so, uh, so the price was tremendous, right? And so I, you know, I've had conversations with an Orthodox rabbi, and we were we're good friends. We talked, but he's very clear in his assumption that it's better for a Jew to die than to be converted to Christianity. That's the position, right? And so. You know, to, to talk to, to speak to what Doug said about it, it's still an issue today. Years ago, I had a Hebrew tutor. Now, they were from the Reformed Judaism wing, which is the more liberal wing. And I asked her, I said, you know, and I met her family. I observed the Seder, you know, Lucille and I observed the Seder with them and all that. But I asked her, I said, what would happen to you if you converted to Christianity? She said, my, fa my family would disown me. They would have nothing more to do with me. So you can understand that the tension that, that these Hellenistic Jews, even though they were Hellenistic, even though they were more assimilated in the Hellenistic culture, even though they were more open to Hellenistic ideas and the cosmopolitan lifestyle, so to speak, that this was still a struggle for them. And so, and so the author of Hebrews walks them through this in a way that builds the class iron case angels Moses and then the priesthood and that's the part that is just it blows my mind is there he gets into the whole Melchizedek succession and and anyway we'll get there Lord willing at some point mm -hmm.